Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, my friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song I said to Hank Williams How lonely does it get? Hank Williams hasn't answered yet, but I hear him coughing all that long. Oh, a hundred floors above me in the Tower of Song. Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR streaming live on 3cr.org.au and guess what? The Empress isn't here today. What happened, Andy? What um, happened? I'm not sure, actually. What? She just didn't know. turn up as usual. Just played her usual Empress games, did uh, she? I'm not familiar with her games. You're not? So. No, no. She does that. I think she's ruling the subcontinent or something. Okay. So, Dale, wherever you are, we love you. You're welcome back next week. This is Radical Australia. We have a marvellous guest. Obviously, all our guests are marvellous because they're pre-chosen. Did you know that? That you were chosen? Right. You're one of the chosen ones? <laughs> well, that's great to hear. Yes. It is good. No, well, somebody chose you. Yeah. Our guest is Tamar Hopkins. Where's the hand clapping? <laughs> it's the trouble when you get new producers. They just right. don't know what to do, Tamar. Now, Tamar, look, this is a very simple program. I ask the questions, you answer them. If you don't answer them in the correct manner, Andy shocks you, okay? Right. <laughs> it's very simple. It's good to know. Good to know. It's good to know. You, you got your finger on the button yeah, there? Yeah, must be. Two, yeah, remember, you don't need 240 volts, only 30, okay? You just want to cause discomfort, not deaf. Because <laughs> okay. I'm off duty. I'm not doing any mouth-to-mouth during the interview. Mm. All right. Now, seriously, we asked two questions. The first question takes about 10 seconds to answer, and the second question takes about 54 minutes. So what year were you born, Tamar? 1974. 74, so a young one, really. 74. Yeah. And what's the earliest thing you remember? Oh, mm. that's, that's really tricky. Mm. Uh, that's the gosh. great thing about life. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's flashes of time at yes. creche when I was yep. about four. Right. Or maybe it's something about my kindergarten. Right. And having my nose on a dot on the blackboard for talking too much. Oh. Um, having to wait there. <laughs> it started when you were three or four. Yeah. You had your nose on a dot for talking too much. That's right. Did yep. you learn? 
I didn't. You didn't? I don't no. think so, because you're going to be talking a lot. <laughs> Your nose on a dot. Yeah, that's right. And what colour was the dot? I can't remember. It was some uh, just piece of chalk. So piece of chalk, knows. yeah. You yeah, had to look at it. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. You're lucky 10 years earlier would have been the strap. Yeah. You know, yeah. four or five didn't matter. I'd show you the scars, but I was a good boy. I was a goody shoe, two shoes, so there's no marks on me. Obviously, it was different with you. You know, you start off disobedient like that. That's that's extraordinary. So, where were you born? I was born in Canberra, in uh-huh. the Canberra Hospital. That's now the museum uh-huh. site. Uh-huh. <laughs> Seventy-four. Yes. Well, I was in Canberra in 1971. Mm. Mm. Before you were born. For the Day of Rage. Right. The National Day of Rage, which was organised by the National Union of Students. And over 10,000 people descended on Canberra, which only had about 100,000 people then. They were petrified. (laughs) You can imagine all these horrible hippie-type students in 71. Canberra Hospital. Are your parents still alive? Yes. Oh, you can't say anything bad about them. <laughs> what's your, what was your dad? What's your dad like? Ah, uh, um, that's that's a difficult question. All right. He's well, a, how about mum? A... How about mum? If you can't answer that. <laughs> oh, one. look, <laughs> that's also a difficult. All question. right. Okay. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> you have any brothers? And <laughs> yeah. No. Um. All great people. So. Um. Yeah. I was, I was pretty lucky in, in uh, who my, my parents were. Uh-huh. Um, I've got one brother uh-huh. and two stepbrothers. Well, the fact they were in Canberra, obviously they were working for the public service, were they? Um, their parents were. So their parents were? Yeah. Yep. Intergenerational that's public right. service. But they that's weren't right. public servants. Not when I was born. Not when you were born. Yeah. Oh, right. They oh. were both at, at the uni, uh, the ANU and the Institute of Criminology. It's my dad. And right. my mother was... Studying a PhD in English. In English. Yeah. yeah. A very learned family. Yes. <laughs> I wonder if it was transferred genetically. But we'll find <laughs> out about that. So where did you go to preschool? Uh, well, I went to creche at, at the university. They had a, a creche there. So Is this where they um, showed you the little chalk? No, no, that, no, was, no. that was kindergarten. That, that was, was kindergarten. Turner Primary School. Right. Yeah, kindergarten at Turner. Uh, yeah. And, and, and where'd you go to primary school? And then I moved to Campbell Primary School. Mm-hmm. Um, and Where, then where's that in relation to Canberra? Well, Campbell Primary it's it's a suburb in in yeah. Canberra. So right. these are right. all primary schools in the yeah. inner north of Canberra. And then I went to high school at. Hang on, hang on, hang oh, on, hang on. <laughs> still. At... <laughs> I've got fifty-five minutes. I've got to fill in. The... Unless you've done extraordinary things in your life, we're going to okay. go through each one forensically. You know, right. criminology forensically examination of your life. Sure. Did you ex- excel at anything in primary school? Did you think you were? You know, people say, "God, Tamar, she's a good musician, or she can read well, or she knows her maths, or." Um. Well, I, I got. I, I was the um, the school captain in year mm. six. Yeah. Initiative. Yes, yeah. um, got the literature award as well right, in right. I think year five or something. So those little genes were doing their work. Yeah, yeah. So you're, sure. you're socially responsible. Yes, socially responsible, hardworking young girl. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it got you, but at least you were trying. Yeah. And um, did you make many friends in primary school? Um, in terms of long-term friends, yes, no. no. In terms of do I still have any? Yeah, now, from primary no, no, no. But, um, you know, I've 
the interesting thing about Facebook is that you can kind of reconnect to these old primary mm. school friends vaguely. Mm. So I'm kind of somewhat aware of what some of them are doing. And what do you reckon? But, um, oh, yeah, there are some good good people. Mm. But do you think it's <laughs> worthwhile reconnecting? Um, not not really, no. No, <laughs> the same experience. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. what's the point? Yeah. I've gone to one school reunion and I thought, what's the point? One of our students was in jail for rape, somebody was in jail for murder. And I thought, oh, well, nothing's much has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, those things didn't happen in Canberra. Of course not. No. Of course <laughs> Everything's sanitised. <laughs> now, don't tell me you went to high school in Canberra. I did. Public or private? In a public high school. Oh, very good. And uh, where was that? Lynham High School. Lynham High School. Yep. Right. Any, any great uh, graduates from Lynham High School? Hmm. Mm. Not that I'm aware of. Not <laughs> really. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a good school. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, what can I say about Lynham High? Well, did you excel? Were you st- school captain of Lynham High? No. No. What happened? <laughs> Come on, go on. There's something happening here. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't quite know what happened uh, around that that kind of area. But yeah, no, I um, I guess I wasn't interested in school captain type activities. So I right. think you had to be more sporty than I ever was to uh-huh. to kind uh-huh. of engage at that level. But um, yeah, it was certainly like a good good high school. Um, I don't have really much to say about it. Um, I've got still got one or two friends from from that high school though, uh, so um, yeah, that's that's so been enduring. Sounds pretty boring. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. There's nothing really to. Did report. you get the English? Did you get the English literature prize at least? No, no, I no, got the science, the, the science. The science prize. What happened? Yeah. You do English literature yeah. prize in grade six, and now you got the science prize. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What physics, chemistry, maths A, maths B, the usual crap. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do here, Andy. This isn't, isn't very exciting so far. <laughs> All right. 16, 17, how old were you when you left high school? So you, um, in Canberra, mm. high school goes to year 10 and then you go to a, a college. You go to a college? A year 11 and 12 college. Yeah. A college. So it's still a public college, mm. um, but it, they separate the last two years of high school off. Mm. So, so, the, so the, what, the dregs go to one college and the intellectuals go to another? Uh, it's very much area based. Area based. So okay. you just go to your local college. Local college, and mine was Dixon, Dixon. College. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I went there. Yeah. Excelled as a science student. So yeah, continued to really be interested in science and get um, maths awards there. But, but why and, science and maths? Um, oh well, that's I found those, those things absolutely, you know, fascinating, and I still do. I, I still find um, science, you know, something that I keep returning to. Science and maths, fascinating. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, you're unusual, aren't you? Well, I guess so. M- most people <laughs> find them quite tedious. So you must have a, a particularly interesting inquiring mind. No, no. I mean, <laughs> you need a certain type of mind to actually uh, get into that type of stuff in a big way. Yeah. That's why 90% of us just shrug our shoulders and move on. Yeah. We'll leave it to the, t- the 10%. Yeah. So what happens after year 12 in Canberra? So I did. A, I started a science and law degree at oh, um, I'm so A&M. surprised. Yeah. 
no gap year in so, those days. Yeah, no, no, no. I took my gap year after I think three years of doing my degree. Right. I'm needing a break at that stage. So, but ANU, yeah. science and law. Yeah. What was that like? Well, they were pretty uh, different degrees to be doing. And in retrospect, I wish I'd done an arts degree right. as well as a law degree. I think as well been, as a law degree. Yeah, I think that would have been a much better combination. Right. Science uh, kind of doesn't work. I, I mean, in, in the way in the in the law that I've done it, it hasn't really had much relevance. Right. I mean, it's certainly interesting, and I'm continu- I continue to be interested. Right. But um, yeah, I wouldn't say that degree has sort of had a huge impact on what I'm doing with my life. Why do you think there's just a Move aside a little bit. Why do you think there's so much negativity amongst so many people regarding scientific facts? It's as if, you know, you choose what you want and you got any ideas? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, that's certainly really clear around the debate around climate change. Mm. Um, the fact that misinformation can be, you know, picked up by vast groups of society. Um, yeah, look... Uh, uh, off the top of my head, I, I I can't say, but I'd say just about any area of human thinking can be, you know, corrupted by the powerful, and mm. um, people can um, adopt um, views about things that are completely mm. without factual basis. I mean, you can see that mm. with refugee discussions and mm. issues around. Well, facts don't really people. matter, do they? These days, that's right. With social media, that's right. Facts have. And science no is just one of those things, you know, that you inconvenient things that you know you don't really accept. Yeah, you don't have to. Oh, it's good we agree on that. <laughs> so, what? You're twenty. You finish your science degree. Yep. And mm. what? You started your law degree, or you didn't? No, you do it. Do them at the same time at that, oh, right. that stage. That's so, hard work. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't was... have any time for anything. Yeah. Did uh, you was... get involved in student politics at that stage? Ah, uh, no, I was doing. I was working at the Canberra Rape Crisis Centre as a um, counsellor, what, what, an after-hours counsellor. What drew you into that direction at such a young age? Um, I'd been, I'd worked as a youth line counsellor before that and had um, got links to people who were then working at the Canberra Rape Crisis Centre. Um, my, I guess, well, my family had been, were very much interested in feminism and so that was that was a discussion that we always had um, were involved in, and my stepmother was involved in setting up the Canberra's first um, uh, um, what is it um, domestic violence crisis service. So we were very much kind of engaged in thinking around um, gender inequality, and that certainly kind of was was a big part of you know my early um, time as a as a law student. Right. So was was this a ongoing theme during your childhood and secondary college and well just in university? Um well I guess I guess from my home perspective it was an ongoing theme. So we'd mm. always have, you know, discussions around these issues and I'd write essays about them. Um but it yeah, so so yes it so was. So you weren't one of these families that kind of ate together and discussed. Yeah, we were. Really? Yeah, yeah. Didn't, and, you have, didn't you have the TV on and just ate your meals off your lap and while you watch TV? No. No? <laughs> no. That could explain a lot of things, you know. Yeah. You know, your love for science and facts yeah. and social yeah, yeah. service. And I think I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, and the other the other thing about my childhood was 
was living in two different households. Two households. So moving from um, father's house to mother's house every Wednesday with my brother. Right. And every so Wednesday. Every Wednesday swapped over. We'd be driven with all of our stuff. Mm-hmm. To were, the they, other were they actually on talking terms or they just living? Yeah, no, they were at that stage. So, at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> right. okay. I just didn't drop you off on the porch and just no. left. No. no. Okay, well, that's all right. So, yeah. so, so what effect do you think that had on you? Um, well, I think it meant that I had a very um, actively engaged father in parenting, um, and I think that's really, um, you know, given me a strong value system around the equality of all people to be able to parent and the the fact that the nature-nurture debate really is, is very much about what the, what the conditions are that you're grown into or, you know, what what the culture of your family is rather than in any inherent um, reason that men or women can parent better or worse. So so I think I think that's that's been really um, yeah, it's really shown me that um, biases are are um, are not natural but cultural. Do you think all biases are cultural? I as think far as, uh, around gender, gender. Um, yeah, gender, mm-hmm. race, um, just about any anything you can imagine. It's mm-hmm. so you don't think there's any genetic involvement? Not nothing um, that I, I think culture trumps anything that could be put down to a genetic reason. Right. Yeah. So you think, you think culture is the be-all be and end-all of uh, human behaviour? I do, yes. Oh, yes. That's uh, an old-fashioned viewpoint. Yeah. Very old-fashioned. <laughs> right. no, we're not here to discuss that. We're here to discuss, <laughs> you know, what, what, what you did. So, what, you are 20 when you had your year off? Um, no. So that was, uh, I must have been about maybe 24. 24? Yeah. Right. So what, same so you started university late then? No, I started university at oh maybe maybe it was four or five years into my my degree Three, that right. I took a year off. Yeah, and what made you take a year off? Um, I I'd finished my science degree, the science part of the degree, and um, yeah, I wanted to go to India, so I went. Excuse me. Spent six months Excuse travelling. Me. Hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You wanted to go. To India, yeah. That's this right. would have been what the early eighties, would it? Um, Mid eighties? No, no, no. This is the this is the nineties. Nineties. So um, this is ninety six. Ninety seven. Oh, I can't yeah. even do, see. I'm very bad at maths. So I should yeah. have been able to work out. <laughs> ninety six. You wanted to go to India. Yeah. Why did you want to go to India? I'd been studying Indian dance for five years. And when, when, excuse me. When did this happen? So oh. this was at the end of um, in year twelve. I started doing Indian dance. Why Indian then, dance? Um, I had seen this incredible teacher mm-hmm. um, performing at the at some at, at the gallery and she was she was just mind blowing. It was just incredible mm-hmm. seeing this art form. And it yeah, it was just like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> what, she, what 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 tradition was it that, that you were following in Indian dance? Um Kuchpuri, which is one of the seven like major classical styles of Indian dance. It's a southern Indian dance form. Mm. Mm. And, um, yeah, so, and she had studied from a master in um, in southern India and had come here to, come to Australia, to Canberra to do a master's and 
um, was doing, was performing and then decided to set up a school. Mm. So, yeah, that was just fantastic. And what do you think of this gawky young woman coming into her studio? Oh, well, there are quite a lot of us. <laughs> a lot of gawky young women, right. <laughs> Who are coming in. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah so no, what, what, what did that um, add to your character? Um, oh. Part of tolerance for pain, obviously. Yeah, maybe. Um, I guess. I guess you know, just seeing the. I had I had studied Western music before this, and seeing you know a whole new system of of um, thinking about music and and rhythm and um, movement. And, and I guess also the, the wonderful way that it can tell stories and, um, you know, transmit ideas and culture. So, yeah, it was, it was another means of communication. But it was also a great way of getting in touch with my body, for example, you know, as a non-sporty person to suddenly pick up something like this. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was, that was fantastic. You did that for five years. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, no one you wanted to go to India. Yep. <laughs> All right. Where did you land? Um, landed in Kolkata. Fine. Okay, you get it. Obviously, you're on a plane. Yep. <laughs> you breach the doors. What was your first impression? Uh, it's, oh, look, it's hard to tell. I, I think just a crazy, busy, smelly city mm. with little teacups of chai everywhere and um, just, I guess, also the impact of British colonisation. It's very strong in Kolkata and seeing that, mm. uh, yeah, that that's continued. You didn't have the slums coming up to the uh, airport fence? Ah, uh, look, I can't recall. No. I'm sure that's I'm sure it wasn't was like, been like that. that. No, yeah, yeah. Cool. So do you have anything pre-planned when you arrived in India? Yeah, so I went, I had a pre-plan to go walking in Darjeeling with my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he left and returned back to Australia. And I, uh, a friend of mine that I had met through doing Lifeline, um, came and joined me in Darjeeling, and we we just decided to just explore and see what we could find. And we went to Nepal and then down to um, Delhi. What walking? And, well, we didn't walk the whole way. <laughs> no, you know, catching right. trains and buses and yeah. whatever, you, however well, you can get class around. Unreserved or yeah, yeah. What do you think of them? Third-class oh, unreserved trains. Well, you know, <laughs> they're pretty. It, India is is a full-on place to travel, and yeah, it was in those yeah. days. Full-on, totally it's full-on, just incredible, totally full-on, especially third-class unreserved. Yeah, <laughs> full-on. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And um, yeah. how did you cope? Did you get sick? Uh yeah, not as not as badly as I was expecting, but yeah, certainly got sick. And by the end of the the time, I was really sick. It's but it's hard to know whether I was sick of, of being in India. Right. Or physically sick. I think the two kind of melded at that point. But um, yeah, look, it was really intense and really eye-opening. And I think, I think I really um, got a sense of, you know, what are we doing coming to places like this and looking at this poverty, and you know, what what's the point? What's the and so was it that sort of sense of the pain of humanity and just viewing it like mm-hmm. as if it's you know a pleasure trip to come around and observe 
this scale of you know what was going on. So so yeah, that was really. I think that I think I had my first existential crisis, if you could right. say that. <laughs> Yeah. Traveling in India, and I'm sure that's many people's experience too. You, you didn't <laughs> so, go to Southern India? Though. Yeah, I did. I did um, go to the dance schools there. Um, look, I, that was an intention, but at, by the end of the time I was there, I just had enough and decided to come home. Right. So yeah, it was back six to months. Canberra. Yep, back to back Canberra. To boring Canberra Airport. Yep, yep. <laughs> Which in those days would have been even more boring. Yeah. All right. So, had you finished your law degree when you no, came back? No. No. Then, then I got back and had a few more years to go to finish the law degree. And you finished that? Yep. Finished in ninety nine. Ninety nine. Yep. And did you get your articles? Yeah, it was uh, College of Law mm-hmm. that I did in two thousand right. at ANU, uh, and then I got my first job at the legal aid office in Canberra. What's wrong with you? Why don't you go into some nice corporate law firm? Yes. Why would you want to go to work for legal aid? <laughs> I must be that parent in your head. I must be. Yeah. I mean, why would you? You got the door. You could be. A, you could have been a corporate lawyer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, obviously, you made a conscious decision to go into legal aid. Well, or was that the only job available? Well, my whole reason for doing law was about trying to create change, and so that's. It it has to be around community or public law. That's the only space right. I couldn't. I I never even imagined going into a corporate corporate law firm. Right. It's just the, the last thing I could think of doing. How do you create change through law? Well, the reason I decided to be a lawyer was the Franklin Dam case. Mm-hmm. When I was eight, um, I made that decision. That's when the High Court handed down its decision, and I realised that. Um, law. I decided to be a High Court judge. I've mm-hmm. subsequently uh, lost that ambition. Oh, but, look, um, oh, Andy and I are quite happy to nominate you, aren't we, Andy? <laughs> sure. yeah, yeah, any day we will nominate you. Yep. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Hold on to your ambition. Right. <laughs> well, what was what I was affected by was the power of the law to actually uh, create profound social, in that case, environmental mm-hmm. justice. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it was trying to find ways of doing that, realising that this was a tool towards achieving that kind of outcome. And so that was that's always been the driving... Mm. Have, you under, have you understood the... Obviously, you understand the power of Parliament to actually subvert those high court of judgments course. over and over again, if you look at the Mabo decision. Of all course. Those decisions, of course. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an imperfect tool. <laughs> well, it's a tool. It's a tool. But You're it right. is a tool. I mean, I've got a legal case coming on the 19th I won't say much about, which has got – there is a constitutional issue involved, and you're quite right. I mean, when you're powerless and there's no mass movement and uh, you can't influence parliamentary policy, it is one option mm. to look at. But obviously thousands try, but only one or two succeed. Mm. That's the issue of the High Court. Yes. In my experience. Yes. I don't know if it's your experience. Yep. Uh, there are far more losses than wins. Many more losses. Mm-hmm. So how long did you last in legal aid? Uh, I was there for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I was working in the magistrate's court at the, at, um, in Canberra in the protection order unit, which was the, order, which was the unit assisting people um, escaping family violence or domestic violence is how they called it in the ACT, um, and to get um, protection orders. So that's like intervention orders. So I was in court every day, spending the whole day assisting 
predominantly women taking out orders against their predominantly male partners. Um, and Canberra became this, this map of violence. You know, there were just people from all over Canberra who were engaged in, in family violence. And there were two sessions, court sessions, a morning session and an afternoon session. And I had about 10 minutes with each woman, mainly woman, um, getting her story and before I had to get into court and, and um, ask for the interim um, protection order. And it was completely dissatisfying because it was this sausage factory of... Um, of having to deal with people and each, like, having to tell them, move on, okay, where did he hit you? Where did it connect? I just need to get that down. And it was just this sort of constant conveyor belt. And maybe one in ten of these stories might hit really, really profoundly, but the rest you just have to kind of go through. It's like going through the, the motions. So um, so it was, it, it was a, a, I guess, a, an interesting job but made me realise that this is, really not what I wanted to be doing um, and and this was not kind of law that was about changing anything it was just trying to fix put band-aids on a on a broken system mm. a broken society so uh, so I left legal aid after a year and a half mm. what, did, what did it teach you about human relationships well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, and that's a good point, actually. It made me realise I don't want to be dealing with, um, I don't want to be working with human conflicts within conflict, humans having conflict with other humans. Um, it, it's, there's um, kind of, a, what am I saying? A, a sort of a, a, a level playing, like, when the when you're the person you're having a dis- disagreement with is is another individual, it's profoundly difficult to see the rights in in that kind of situation. Um, and I, I think it made me decide that I really wanted to work on a, in a vertical way um, with looking at um, the wrongs that the state have perpetuated to set up systems of injustice so yeah so that that's kind of one of them mm, one so of the many a, things that so was a pivotal moment in your life well partly yeah yeah and it it kind of propelled me into a into community legal centers right look it's 432 this is radical australian community radio 3cr streaming live on 3cr.org.au we're having a chat with tamar hopkins you wouldn't call this an interview it's a chat Andy stepped in for Madam Empress Dale Bridge and he's doing all the technical bits and pieces. So thank you, Andy. So, young Tamar, community legal centres. What is a community legal centre? Well... Everybody thinks, you know, a court is a court. Yeah. Yeah, a community legal centre is a a collection of lawyers and non-lawyers who are working to make the law work better for individuals and society. And so they're, they're not just operating to provide legal assistance to individuals, or that's partly what they do. They're about finding problems in the way the law is and advocating for changes, improvements to the way the law operates. So it's got a, it's got a profoundly systemic law reform kind of or will change focus mm. and that's what was really missing at legal aid um so so well, i 
politicians don't like this. Yeah. Because you're usurping the role of parliament to create the law. Well, it's unfortunately, well, there's not much you can do to change the law without parliament. Mm. So, except through getting judges to interpret Mm. the law differently. Haven't we had a a long period of uh, argument over the last decade about what they call it, uh, judicial activism? Are you part of that? That movement? Um, I, I, I wouldn't put it that way. <laughs> well, how would you put it? Uh, uh, look, I've got nothing against judicial activism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a yeah. great believer in it. But it's been used as a derogatory term. It has. Because, you know, people see it as the judiciary trying to take over the role of parliament. Yeah. And, and I think it, you find yourself in an interesting situation in a community legal centre. Yeah. So, so who funds a community legal centre? Do we, do we have patrons in there? Um, well, look, each community legal centre, there are there are hundreds across the country and they mm-hmm. all have different models for, right. for how they're funded. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they're partly funded by Commonwealth, partly funded by state, partly funded by grants and, um, you know, bodies such as the Law Foundation, etc. partly funded by donations, partly funded by... Uh, uh, the results of wins in civil claims. Certainly, the the legal centre I've been working at most recently, the Flemington Legal Centre, has has been partly funded that way. Mm. So yeah, yeah, it's a range of different places that they get their funding. So the first one you were working with was in Canberra, was it? Yeah. And, and what was their uh, main focus? That was the Welfare Rights and Legal Centre, and that focused on tenancy and social security, mm. and. Uh, Different to the Tenants Union here in Victoria, its main focus was on public housing. So public housing and social security and just a fantastic place to start in community legal centre work. Um, you know, really, those are still probably the most important areas of work, <laughs> you know. Like that's housing and income, Basic. I <laughs> just absolutely fundamental. Yeah, that's right. And so um, that was just really, really great to to get a, a solid grounding in those two areas. So did you get any um, wins in that area while you were there? Um, yeah, there was some some really interesting. I mean, one of the really interesting things in the ACT is that you can take the public at the, uh, housing authority to the AAT there. What's the, the, AAT? the administrative appeals tribunal? Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time taking housing um, ACT to court for decisions around. So not just using a try at a, looking at sort of um, tenancy legislation, but also looking at um, the principles behind public housing and administrative um, law um, reasoning to to sort of challenge public housing decisions. And that was that was fantastic because they were making so many inconsistent decisions about the waiting lists and how they classified people's disabilities and um, and a whole range of things. And so that was that was really really interesting work. You realise that was the the great period for public housing. Doesn't even rate a mention anymore. Yeah, you're lucky to have public housing mm. because it's no longer an issue. Wow, <laughs> and it's a huge issue. I agree, but in, in yeah. terms of the public debate, mm. it's no longer an issue. The yeah. fact that you had an active public housing system in Canberra, mm. great boom. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because public housing wasn't just for people who are extremists. There was basically a, a way 
people with limited limited incomes and low incomes could be housed satisfactorily for a reasonable price. And that that concept has disappeared from Mm. the public debate. Yeah. It's not there anymore. Yeah. So how long did you last there at the community? I was there for a couple of years. A couple of years, yeah. What made you move on? Um, I went to a conference, community legal legal conference in Melbourne, and one of the issues that I was dealing with was, was the fact that as, as limited as rights were for people trying to get public housing and social security benefits, it was even more limited for asylum seekers. And that there was, it was like the, the rules, there was two different classes of people in society, um, Australian residents or citizens and non, non-residents. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this was really profoundly shocking when you take a kind of rights approach that everyone has the right to housing and social security and what's going on here. So so I was starting to really kind of be interested in that and those issues and um, went to a conference in Melbourne and suddenly there were people talking about rights in a completely different way here in Melbourne than I'd ever come across in, in Canberra and it just seemed like a far more radical environment to practice law and think about legal issues and um yeah it just it was just really exciting and it, it still is i still think that melbourne has some of the most interesting and radical mm-hmm. community legal center work in the country mm-hmm. so yeah so i decided to uh quit canberra and move to melbourne <laughs> how old were you 29. 29. What a huge decision to leave Canberra after 29 years. <laughs> I'm shocked. I am shocked. But uh, were you still dancing in Canberra? No. You no. gave that up? Yeah. Why? I, um, You're telling me how important it yeah, was to your life. Yeah, it was until I went to India. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I had I had a bit of a breakdown with the teacher. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Well, it's one of these authoritarian relationships, student uh, master type of thing. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. 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 So we won't go into it. We won't go into it. <laughs> We're not interested about what you did. No. You and your <laughs> The fact is, you never went back. No, that's right. And you've never looked for alternative teachers. Oh, well, I have. I've, I've tried um, one teacher here in Melbourne, but it's it's a it's a big commitment to, to do that dance well. And mm. I, just, I just haven't had the time. You haven't had time that you come to Melbourne. Mm. Really? Mm. <laughs> yeah, but we're supposed to be the lifestyle city. Yeah. You haven't had time. No. Don't tell me this this business that you were school captain in grade six, you know, has kind of hung around you all this time. Yeah. You know, that it's all about work, 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 yeah. social responsibility. Yep. You're kidding me. Yeah, no, it's, that's well, right. What that's... You be, well, you came to Melbourne, right? All right. What you, where did you start working at? I uh, started working at the Tenants Union mm-hmm. um, because that was an easy job to get. Yeah. Um, I'd actually applied for a job at the Flemington Legal Centre but hadn't got it the first time I applied. Not enough experience. And then, and then yeah, eventually mm. got uh, – and also worked at the Welfare Rights Centre here. Tell um, us about the Welfare Rights Centre. A lot of people don't know about its work. Yeah, so it's changed its name to the Social Security Ad- Rights and Advice Service, I think. Um, but it – provides advice to everyone around um, issues with Centrelink and their eligibility and disputes with decision-making from Centrelink. So a really important place. They've got a a phone line that people can call and and get advice. 
um, and then they will assist people through initial challenges to Centrelink decisions um, right up to the Social Security Appeals Tribunal. No. Uh, they don't generally assist people beyond to the AAT. They, I think they then refer people to legal aid and they have quite a, um, quite a good unit working on Social Security matters. So, yeah, it's a really good unit. They put out a lot of fact sheets. Um, it's worth going and checking out their website and also the Social Security um, Network, Australia-wide network, have mm-hmm. a, a lot of really good mm-hmm. fact sheets for people mm-hmm. on their website. I feel as if I'm talking to Jill, you know, not to Ma. <laughs> you know, all work and no play makes Jill a very dull person. Right. So, what, what type of interests have you kind of developed in Melbourne outside your work? Yeah, well, I've um, I guess in 2013 I had a baby, and that's kind well, of that's helped. an interest, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that takes up a little time, yeah, that's doesn't right. it? That's yeah, right. So you would have been an older mother. Yep. Yeah. Um, but also tree planting. Is tree planting. Yeah, 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 that's a big uh, one. Well, tell us about this tree planting uh, business you're in. What, what did all this start? Don't tell me when you when you're seven or eight and you heard about the Franklin Dam decision, when did all no, this No, no. Um, well, that's, I mean, obviously climate change is a huge thing and it's it's funny whenever, whatever you're doing, like whatever work you're doing, it's kind of like actually climate change is really huge. What are you doing about that? So so that's kind of always, you know, played, mm-hmm. played on me. Um, and then, yeah, I discovered this great group that go and do tree planting out in... Um, around Benalla on weekends. They've got four tree planting weekends a, a year. They go out and plant out places that belong to farmers. And that that kind of made me realise, oh, this is this is really good. And um, suddenly, sure. yeah. yeah, yeah, also realising that you can collect seeds really easily from eucalypts and yep. plant them and get them growing and mm. and off it goes. So I've, I've just been into gorilla tree planting Ever since gorilla around tree planting <laughs> around, around Melbourne, gorilla tree. Yeah, you're not, you're not yeah, another yeah. Johnny Apple seed, eh? No, tomato, no, tomato, not yet. Seed? No, not yet. They're not they're not producing fruits of any sort. But yeah, look, it's it's a fun fun thing. I, I think the survival rate of gorilla trees are pretty low, though. The, there's all sorts of predators, mainly humans. Humans, yeah. yeah. Depends where you put them, obviously. Yeah, that's right. The old biblical analogy <laughs> about barren ground. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'd have an advantage, wouldn't you, on a tree planting brigade because of your dancing, oh, yeah, yeah. because of your dancing, oh, and your flexibility. Just, oh, you know, it's, oh. it's a lot of backbreaking work planting trees. Or you do it yeah. on your knees, kind um, of shuffle yeah. between trees. Yeah. yeah, that's right. No, I don't think the dancing's had any no impact any on the tree at all. Well, I thought it should have. You I know, think quite unrelated. <laughs> it's all physical. Well, yeah, you haven't done many physical things. Yeah. So tree planting, having a baby. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good hobbies. I, I would have, or not that having a baby Maybe is a hobby. hobby. <laughs> well, it could be a hobby, I don't know. That's up to you. Yeah, yeah. No judgment. Do you think having a baby changed you in any way? Yeah, yeah, it did. So it's, um, I, I think before that, I've been able to put a huge amount of time into work and have very little boundaries around that. And I think having a baby makes you go, ah, oh, actually, <laughs> there's something more pressing than the demands of work. And mm. I think that's really healthy. So I think it's kind of evened out my work-life balance. But what it has also done is I, I, 
I've found it really difficult working. Uh, well, I went back to work, um, working three days a week, and I found that really unsatisfying because you need. I just wanted to put far more time in than, than that, but that's all I had if I wanted to dedicate some time to child rearing. And I do. I really have a. I guess maybe it goes back to my family of origin as well. That sort of commitment to being part of a child's upbringing and um, being involved. So you don't want to outsource your child's upbringing? No, I mean, I'm happy Mm -hmm. to partially outsource. So she's two days a week in childcare. But um, at this stage, as a a young child, I'm Mm -hmm. not... I don't want to hand over for five days a week, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's that's been a bit of a challenge. You know, so it was difficult, those, was it? Yeah, it is. It's an ongoing challenge, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What to... was work like when you uh, got pregnant? Um, well, we we were just um, in the process, about to go have a, a big two-month proceeding in the federal court in a big race discrimination case I was involved in. And so that was very kind of demanding and um, consuming. And I was also involved in an inquest um, involving the, the death of a, a young man, Michael Adekelt, um, which was also very, very consuming. And so uh, lots of litigation, a lot of issues at work um, that were, were taking up time. Um, and, yeah, and so it was, it was kind of interesting to go, oh, you mean I've got to get to a doctor's appointment in what? <laughs> I can't do that. Uh, I've got three claims here. <laughs> right. Doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, yeah. all right. Well, it's, it, it, it is difficult, isn't it? When you've, all your life you've worked. Yeah. All your life you've worked for the community yeah. in various ways. You, know, yeah. you don't get rich by being a lawyer in a legal aid centre or a community legal centre. You just get a basic wage, basically. You yeah. pay the bills. And... Uh, People don't actually... See, they see you as public enemy number one. So people like you and me, we're public enemy number one. I've been a bulk mm. billing doctor for 40 years and they're trying to put me out of business now by, you know, trying to get rid of bulk billing. You've been a community. And we're seen now as the enemy. Mm. The enemy to the private sector. And uh, people don't understand there's very little reward in public service anymore, is there? And have you got your AO yet? Your Order of Australia? <laughs> no? They didn't even oh. put you down for an AO. I oh, know. Oh. That's, that's tragic. Uh, yeah. That's tragic. So this is with the Flemington Community Legal Centre you're working for. Well, I've, I'm not working for them anymore. Oh, so, why did you yeah. give, them, give them the bum steer? Um, yeah, I've decided that it's just it's too frustrating to try and fit what I want to do at that centre into three days. Right. And so I've decided to, just while I guess I'm concentrating on child rearing, um, consider doing a PhD. So I'm just sort of... <coughs> <laughs> no, that's right. Tracking down potential people to considering assist with that. doing a PhD, <laughs> yeah, working right. for four, twenty years in the legal business on the margins, yeah, financially, yeah, yeah. You're what? In your early forties now, yeah, and forty, well, forty-one, forty-two, and you've got a bit of rest because you can, re- you know, you can get involved with your daughter, yeah, and you want to do a PhD, yeah. Why? Um, because. I, I guess I'd like to have. I mean, one of my long-term dreams is to try and set up a, um, like a, a centre for racial pro- profiling research. Mm-hmm. I think there's been this issue is not Ooh. being focused on in. Why is this a dream? 
And we, we don't have racial profile in Australia, do we? Well, exactly. <laughs> That's the problem, that no one knows about this issue and yet it's such a huge issue facing not only new arrivals but Indigenous people. And yet it's been very explain, barely... Explain to listeners what racial profiling is because I think it's some little terms you hear on American TV. So mm-hmm. what is racial profiling and what's its impact in Australia? Yeah, so racial profiling is the um, focus by police on a person for attention based on their skin colour or their appearance or their apparent religious affiliation. So um, so it's it's focusing on... Ex- it's exploring a person based on their identity to see if they've committed a, cr- a crime rather than... Um, having a crime that you're investigating and, and actually trying to, you know, investigating that crime. So it's the sort of, it's the inverse of criminal investigation. It's investigating race. Um, so so this this issue, I guess, is just finally getting a bit of attention in, in Victoria and it's something that finally the Victoria Police have a policy around um, and uh, doing some work towards dealing with it. But there is still a long way between what they say they're doing and the practice yeah, on the streets. We, we interviewed the young man who was at the centre of the Flemington uh, investigation on Radical Australia and he made some uh, very pointed points. Why is it a dream? To do this? Yeah. Um, well, well, it's most something... people dream about winning Tats Lotto, you know? Yeah, right. Well, it's... Well... That'd be nice too, wouldn't it, really? <laughs> well, <laughs> but I don't actually even... you could That's right. You've got to buy a ticket tomorrow. Yeah, I do. Yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but why is it so important to you? Um, well, because I actually think um, racism is becoming more and more of a problem in society and that it's... And I kind of look at dealing with climate change and realise that actually... A big issue that's going to come up as we deal with the effects of climate change is increasing xenophobia, increasing racism, and that this is an issue that's that is not going to go away, and requires a huge amount of attention, and we have to tackle it in any way we possibly can, and that the police really are the um, the pointy end of the state, and um, what we're we're seeing um, the re- response to asylum seekers is very much part of this, but there is an internal border that is being policed and will be policed um, at an increasing rate. And you know we're we're watching right now what's happening in Britain um, as it retreats into an increasingly xenophobic island, <laughs> and that this is really something that we're going to be seeing. Um, across the world and so it's it's I guess part of um, what I want to do around the issue of climate change um, that this is this is a contribution that I might be able to make. So, so, so you're telling me climate change isn't just about rising sea levels and and uh, irregular weather events that it actually has a, a human and a social impact? Absolutely. You're kidding. <laughs> why, don't we take, why, why don't we take any notice of it then if it's going to have all these impacts? Oh, good question. Well, I'm asking a question. <laughs> I'm doing the interview. You're supposed to answer. I mean, it's got huge, you're right, huge ramifications. Increased temperature, increased um, communal diseases, increased viruses, increased sickness, increased dislocation. It makes mm-hmm. the dislocation from wars look like mm-hmm. nothing. Mm, that's right. Machine gun nests mm-hmm. along the coast. Machine gun people that come off boats. Yep. It's got all that potential. And obviously you can see, but why a PhD? 
what's that going to do? Uh, well, it's, it gives me a bit of time to think, really. Um, what, five years? Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. You'll be almost 50 by then. Yeah, yeah. But also I don't want to get um, – just see, I, while, while my daughter is young, I don't want to get stuck into creating an institution right now. Right. Um, mm. I want to have a bit of space mm. from, from dealing with that. Yeah, um, but these days you've got to pay for your degrees. Yeah. It's like my, not like my day. Yeah. It was all free. Yeah. So how are you going to do that? Well, hopefully, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm ho- at this, we'll see how parenting payment goes um, as an income, but hopefully there'll be some kind of potential to get some funding. Some funding. What are your hopes for the future for yourself? Um, I hope. I want to be able to continue working on these issues uh, without getting stuck in some kind of, I don't know, ivory tower or narrow solutions. Like that really these things are, to deal with these problems satisfactorily requires having your feet on the ground and recognising who is it that's being affected most by these these issues Um, and that um, always you know, being able to work in this space while having um, a clear understanding of of the impact of the work that I'm doing and on the most vulnerable individuals. So it's it's about staying connected to reality. Mm. So that's what I hope for myself, that I continue to be connected to reality. Well, you, uh, you haven't been connected to reality maybe a little bit too much. Yeah. Is my opinion. <laughs> what do your parents think of all this? Oh, that, that's... Neither here or there. Yeah. You're an old person. That's now. right. It doesn't matter what they think, does <laughs> that's it? Right. That's the answer. That's the correct answer. Who that's cares? Right. <laughs> you know, finally independent. You, yep. Know? Yep. you know what the next phase is? What's is that? when you're at the cull face. When they both die, Yeah. you know, your stepmother, your mother and your father, they're all dead, and then you're actually at the cull face looking at the abyss. Mm. You're lucky. You're going to have a great 20 years before you're looking at the abyss. Right. You've got, you've got your, I know it sounds hackneyed, but you do have your best period ahead of you because mm. your intellect, your experience, your commitment, you know, and uh, you've got drive. Mm. A lot of people don't have drive. I assume you don't spend all your time on the mobile phone, on social media or any of that garbage, do you? No. 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 And that's what people people don't understand that. And how about your daughter? Have you got any hopes and aspirations for her? Uh, She's really theatrical. So I'm hoping that she'll get into theatre. Yeah. Right. You're not Um, going to kind of put her in a science box, are you? Whatever she wants. Whatever she wants. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How about bomb making classes? It's up to her. It's up to her. (laughs) Whoa. I've heard a liberal parroting, but that's pretty good. It's up to her. Yeah. All right. Well, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, It's good that you've actually opened up and uh, just shows people there are a lot of people out there doing a lot of interesting things and a lot of worthwhile things. Not everybody is a celebrity or a corporate giant, and obviously these people make more of a commitment than anybody else to these things. So, And that's the key. So, Tamar Hopkins, we wish you all the best in your in your life. Please stay in Melbourne. Don't go back to Canberra. They don't need you, but we need you here. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Joey. And uh, <laughs> do something else. Yes. Take up a hobby. Yes. You know, 
maybe butterfly watching or bird watching or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, Tamar. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much, Andy. No worries. Thank you. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows.